guys, it's Nico. Welcome back. I'm here with Katie. Hello, Miss Independence, and welcome back to our podcast. This is going to be an amazing episode. Today, we're going to be talking about female entrepreneurship, side hustles, and what it takes to really build a business. We've got an amazing guest lined up for you guys, and we're so excited for this conversation. Michelle is the founder of Female Co-Founder. She is a product manager at Vimware Pivotal Labs and has previously worked on brands like Virgin Mobile, Crave TV, Bell, and Lucky Mobile. Michelle is a proud Schulich alumna who graduated with honors and distinctions specializing in entrepreneurship, marketing, and finance. Now she's creating an opportunity to uplift women who are excited about building the future of tech. For every 20 startup founders in the technology sector, less than three are women. Female Co-Founder is working with everyone in the tech community to change that. Female Co-Founder is a community where you build diverse teams for side projects and startups. If you are thinking about starting a side hustle, just started a venture, or just want to dip your toes into building new income streams, this is the conversation for you. Michelle and I were actually just chatting about this, but uh, we go back way back to the Bell days. Um, and we we're just chatting about how like we've been connected for so long and super excited to jump into it. I've actually worked with female co-founder for a little bit. So at the beginning of this year, I led a, a lightning talk, one of their first lightning talks on risk and resilience in entrepreneurship and how to build your risk tolerance. And Michelle, I've always been really curious about how you even got into it. So something that I never got around to asking you, which is where we can start, is how you came up with the idea for Female Co-Founder. And maybe let's share with our listeners what Female Co-Founder even is. Uh, so Female Co-Founder is really a community to support people that want to build diverse startup teams or, or side project teams. In terms of how I started, it was pretty meta. I was observing people that I hung out with, like a lot of the men that I hung out with, aka my partner, was spending a lot of time on his weekends being really productive. And I was like, oh, these guys are like building really cool apps. Like, what the heck am I doing? I'm like, I want to build something. And all the people in my network were really like business people. And when you want to build like a tech product, you need a diverse team of people with different skills, different backgrounds. And so I personally didn't really have anyone in my network that I could work with, uh, despite asking different friends, despite like poking people on LinkedIn, it just like didn't work. And so I was like, okay, like how else can I do this? I realized that like a lot of tech people were on Slack. So I just kind of experimented and I sent out maybe like six messages in different tech Slack communities and I got a bunch of emails back and really all I asked was like, hey, I'm looking to work on a startup idea. Like who wants to work on something? And I didn't expect there to be such a large volume of people that also wanted to work on things. So I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like clearly I'm not the only person that has this problem. Maybe this is the problem I work on. And so, yeah, that's how it kind of came to be. It started as a Slack community, which we still have today, but we've expanded into events, uh, directory product. We have a newsletter that goes out every Saturday. Um, and now we've transitioned to virtual events, obviously, because of COVID. Awesome. So we'll definitely post the link for it for you guys in the show notes if you're curious and want to poke around. Now, 
Michelle, would you, how did you even build the team that helps you out with it? Like you're not a one man show. I mean, it's, it's really tough to be a solopreneur and you're handling everything. So how did you find people to support you? Absolutely. Like when I first started talking about the community of female co-founder, actually the first person that ever reached out to me was Monica. It's now on my team. She's social media. And she was just so excited about the idea. She's like, can I make posters and like post them around Brock? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like go ahead. Like you're on the team. Um, and just that passion really stood out to me. And she like just wanted to like get started day one and was really like supportive of the idea. In terms of some of the other people that had joined the team, um, when I first identified that, like, hey, this is the problem that I want to solve. Like, how do I get people to work together and build teams, whether it's for startups or side projects? Um, I started throughout that email list, I asked people if I could have like a 10, 15 minute conversation with them, some of which were over the phone, some of which were with people that were that, we, that I had coffee with. And a few people stood out to me there. Isha, for example, she was telling me about the challenges that she was having. She had a, a previous side project that she was trying to work on and just didn't have that commitment from the other person. So I saw that in, in the past, like it's something that she's tried and she was kind of having the same frustrations or some of the doubts that I had when working with new people. Like, is this person really going to invest the time? And I also noticed that she like really challenged my idea and my assumptions, which I really liked. I think some people might go in and be like, oh, like, this is my idea. Like my solution is correct. And like, I think that's a total, like total wrong way to go about this. Um, and so I really liked that. I'm like, I want someone that poke out gaps in my idea and will help me make it stronger. And from a skills perspective, like, wasn't really strong from a design background. Like I don't have a design background and she did. So I'm like, oh, cool. Like, would you want to help and help me build this? And she's like, yeah, sure. That's how I met Isha. Rose was very similar. I think their conversations were actually back to back, the same coffee shop. And Rose was just like very, very great to be around, very positive energy. And she brought a lot of different ideas to the table, which I really liked about her. And yeah, again, she was a, basically a user. All these people were, within that email list that reached out to me about wanting to work on startup ideas. So I knew that this, they were motivated to work on something. And just from a personal perspective, we clicked. Um, and more recently, Carla joined the team and she kind of focuses on sponsorships and she ran our last event. Carla actually reached out to me during, I think our second event. And she was just really pumped about like the problem that we were trying to solve and wanted to help out in any way she could. Yeah, I really liked that initiative. We were looking for someone that could do a little bit, had more uh, background in sales to get kind of the word out there. And so that's how we found Carla. That's awesome. It's always so great when you connect with people that are super passionate. Something that me and my boyfriend always joke about is like building a business is like having a hobby. Like you're doing it 100% of the time. And some people have hobbies and other people like me and you build businesses, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's like growing a child. Like you, it takes up 100% of your time. And, and it's super important to have people that are as driven and as motivated as you are. So I'm so happy for you that you found such an awesome team and Thanks. building something great. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's something that I don't feel like I'm working when I'm doing it. It's just like, oh, like, I need to do this. Or like, I really just want to play around with this. Or like, I want to, like, it doesn't feel like this is work that needs to get done by this date. It's just really like, I don't know, feels very fluid to me. So I feel like when you've got the right idea, and you start taking action and pursuing it, it, it shouldn't feel like work. And that's when you know, you're on the right track. Absolutely.
Yeah, that's something that we can dissect a little bit uh, deeper, but uh, I'm going to let Katie jump in here for a quick sec. So from my experience, I've been told that the reason a lot of people never get around to starting a business is because they're afraid of taking that first initial step. What I want to know is how did you overcome the feelings of fear when taking that first step? Yeah, I think for me, uh, frustration really outweighed my fear to a certain point. There was a few things going on at that time. Like one, I wanted to be really productive on my weekends. uh, But at the same time, I wanted to get back into software product management as opposed to hardware. And I was getting really sick of people telling me, no, I can't do that. I was like, you know what, like, why do I have to wait for somebody to tell me no, like, I can just go build a team and build a product and test it out. Like, I don't have to I don't need permission for somebody to tell me to do the work that I want to do. And the third piece was I had a really frustrating conversation with someone about businesses being kind of like a boys club. And that really pissed me off. And really just like, I was like the frustration, just like, I don't care. Like, I'm just going to prove this person wrong that it's not a boys club and that we can work together. So that was that. Uh, The second piece is after I had this frustration that outweighed this fear, but I did have this idea for about three months and the time that I kept it in, like it literally went nowhere. I just like mulled the idea in my head, like didn't really get any feedback. I'm not talking to anyone about it. And at a certain point when I hit that like frustration peak, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to treat it as an experiment. Like, ah, let me send this message out. Like, let's see what's the worst that's going to happen. And basically every step I took after that was really like an experiment. And I just kind of took those high expectations out of my head and just like, "Ah, let's try this. Let's see what happens. And once I saw the numbers coming in, it was super motivating. It was like, oh, what if I try this? Like what what happens to the numbers? Or like, what if we try out this product? Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Let's see. I think that was really like just getting over that mental hump and being so like passionate about the idea to a point that my frustration or my passion about the problem outweighed my fear and kind of pushed me forward to, to get the word out there. So what was that first launch day like? Walk me through it. Yeah. <laughs> Emotions, everything. What was it like? Emotionally, it was scary. I was thinking things that it was things like, oh, like, what are people that know me going to think? Like, oh, Michelle thinks she's going to build a community. Like, <laughs> what does she think she's doing? That's kind of how I felt. Launch day for me, like, there wasn't really a big bang launch. It was really me saying that there's a community out there, aka a Google form and a Slack channel <laughs> to like different Slack channels out there in the, in the world and just pressing send. And it was like nerve wracking, just clicking that send. But like I mentioned, like seeing all those emails flood in, I'm like, oh shit, like, thank God I did this. <laughs> so I got over that fear very quickly. But yeah, right before, like it was three months of me thinking in my head, like, oh, what are people going to think? What if it's not successful? What if I do this? And it was just like, you know what, screw it. That was my attitude at that point. I was like, okay, well, press send. It's kind of scary. But after I got off that hump, like it was pretty good from there. (laughs) Yeah, something that I think about all the time is if you, you know, evangelize this idea for so long and you're thinking about it constantly, you know, that idea, that version of that idea only exists in your mind. Exactly. And unless you put pen to paper, it's not going to go anywhere. So actually taking action is so critical. And I love that you started and said that it was a Google a Google form and like a very basic Slack channel when you first started. Now the products evolved to where it is now. Like ultimately, 
when you first start, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of what you've built, you've started too late. Absolutely. Yeah. Even with the relaunch of our website, like someone was poking, they're like, oh, like it's not mobile optimized. I'm like, hey, be happy you got a new website. <laughs> We're going to optimize after for mobile. Like, yeah. Like I feel like I've gotten, you just do it so many times of like, uh, I'm going to put a message out there or like, oh, there's a typo. Oh, I sent the wrong email with the wrong link. You just learn from those mistakes and you almost don't feel it anymore. It just feels like, oh, something happened. Like, let's fix it. You're definitely right. Like you learn so much as you go and there's so much opportunity to fix things as you go along, constantly evolving, but getting started is the most important step. And just getting over like your internal fear, it's, it's much easier said than it is done. But I think having knowledge about like where you see the business going or having some sort of plan in place is a good place to start talking to other people uh, that are in the same position is also amazing because entrepreneurship can be super lonely, especially when you talk to some of your friends and they have no idea what you're going through. So having a community of women that supports each other while they're going through these things together is, uh, is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that actually leads me into my next question. So I was going to ask, what do some of the women talk about in, in the Slack channels? Like what kind of business ideas do they throw out there? Um, do, do you have any insight into like, what are the most common kinds of businesses you see other founders launch? Yeah, I'll do, I'll do a scan, a live scan for you. So in our help section, there's people reaching out, looking for user interviews, people that want to talk a little bit about their online reading habits. There's this uh, woman named Zoe. She just launched actually a, a passion project. She has another business of her own, uh, but she launched a jewelry business. In the pitch section, there's people looking for co-founders. We also do founder features each week. So we're highlighting them and just giving them some exposure there. So yeah, that's kind of what's happening in the Slack community, uh, specifically in our directory. I did a bit of a, a scan this morning, actually. There's like organizations focused on femtech, uh, a lot of marketplaces, kid tech, wellness, and B2B, B2C companies. One thing that I kind of like to see a little bit more of that I see less of in the community, specifically around female founders or like SaaS companies, see a lot of opportunity there. Um, and at least in the female co-founder community, there's not as much as that. So it'd be really interesting to see people dive into that space and bring a different perspective to it. Interesting. So for our listeners that aren't in the tech space, uh, <laughs> SaaS is software as a service. So I guess what Michelle's alluding to is like businesses that are apps or just basically software that is the service of the business or software that is the product. I think I think one of the reasons maybe people are hesitant to go into that space is it, it you need funding. And, you know, unfortunately with like typical VCs, female founders don't get as much funding as their male counterparts. And it's, it's scary to think about. I know that the trend is definitely improving with companies like ClearBank offering funding, but it's, it's still tough out there. Yeah, it definitely, yeah, definitely is tough. But if you're building, if you have the right team and you're willing to do it, like I, I would recommend to anybody that's thinking about building a startup, like try a part-time first and see if it takes off. So at a certain point, you have a certain level of savings that if you do decide to, to pursue it full time, you have that buffer. I think that's something that like, at least my partner's done. He was working on a, a real, estate, real estate tech brokerage and he worked on it part time for maybe a year and then took it full time. I think that's a really great way to de-risk and not require a significant 
amount of funding up front. 100%. Like that's something that that I talk to a lot of people about, especially when they say they want to start off and, and pursue a business. I tell them, well, think about it as a side hustle first and don't quit your day job. Because what if that business doesn't take off? Like there are so many there are so many things that can go wrong, especially in the early stages, competitors that come up. You might think you know that the business is going to perform well. It like kind of like the situation that you had with Isha where, where you had this idea and then Isha like completely introduced a new perspective. So mm-hmm. as a founder, it's always really, really pivotal to have other perspectives, you know, to poke yeah. holes in your idea. And it's, it's important to... Um, to have other people question and, and not quit your day job like we talked about because things can go wrong and that's your security net absolutely and like another thing that I think about is I feel like you should never be really married to your solution I feel like you should be married to the problem that you're trying to solve and really understand that there's so many different ways to solve it and your product or your service is going to evolve as you learn more and so, so it's like really important to remain agile and flexible as you learn more and you get more information, new competitors come to market. That's another thing that I looked for when people, when I was looking at people to build the team, are these people really excited about the Slack community I have right now? Cause in three months it might just, it might not be a Slack community. Like, I don't know. I really chose people that were excited about the problem uh, that we were trying to solve. And I think that's what keeps me going too. Have I really solved that problem that I started out? How else can I solve this problem or like, what haven't we thought of? So yeah, just my, my two cents there. Speaking about problems, what are some of the biggest problems that you see founders face? I think one of them we kind of talked about overcoming that internal fear of just getting started and getting themselves out there and not thinking about not having everything planned out at the very beginning and being comfortable with that, especially in spaces that are solving a a problem that hasn't been solved before. It's going to be really tough to plan out the right strategy. Like there's no right strategy. You just got to do and kind of learn. At least that's my perspective. I'm sure there's, there's a bunch of like models you you can follow and try, but it might not necessarily work for your particular business. Another challenge that I find at least from my experience is really understanding how to do user research properly and not relying solely on what it's called, but like secondary data, like data that's been published by other people, as opposed to data that you've gathered yourself and investing time in understanding what your users are really having trouble with or what their challenges are and what their needs are. And I really feel like you have to go beyond like a survey see a lot of people do that, like, oh, fill out my survey. And like the survey isn't constructed in a way that you can make actionable changes or like you can actually make a decision based off of. And I really think you need to sit down uh, with users and have that conversation because there's nuances that you won't get from a survey. I think that's something that I've seen missed by some founders. And I think it's a huge mistake. Another thing that I think even personally for me, I'm, I'm pretty frugal and every single dollar that I spend, I'm like, oh, I really want to find ways like not to spend money in that investment, just like any investment for me. I'm like, oh boy, like, I don't want to, I don't want to spend. I think there's a lot of like for founders, I think that might be just a mental hurdle. I got over it. I think there's a lot of free ways for you to validate your idea before even getting there. So that when you do make the investment, you know, that you're not just throwing money down the toilet you validated it in some other way in some really cheap way such as a google form which really reduces that feeling of risk 
when you do make the investment. I think these three areas are really, I don't know, a focus for me, given that I'm, my community is focused on really early stage founders that are just starting out. And this is what I'm seeing, I guess, amongst the community and even within myself when I started. That's great. So making sure there's actually a need and that people are going to want your services or products before actually committing to that initial investment. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to look into that even before we do like secondary research where you you send out the surveys and you really get a sense of um, what people think. Looking at Google Trends, for example, like that's something that people overlook, you know, and doing really de- like deep research into whether or not the problem is a problem outside of if you think it's a problem. Right. And don't rely on like friends and family because I feel like they're too nice. Yeah. <laughs> kind of goes back to like one of the first episodes we were talking about where we all live in these echo chambers and like even friends and family, they they think kind of the same ways that you do because that's how you got your opinions, right? Exactly. Not my friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> you um you were talking about like the different kinds of businesses when you went live and we're looking at your help channel events and, and the pitch deck, but I didn't get a chance to ask like what kind of business models you see specifically. So a lot of different industries that um, you see on the channel, but what kind of models do you see and, and what are your thoughts on like one model versus another? Like what what opportunities are there even for, for female founders to what kind of businesses can they launch? Yeah, um, within our community specifically, I see a large, I won't say a large, but like maybe a pretty good amount of like service-based businesses that are being charged hourly, subscription-based businesses. I don't see a lot of ad-based businesses and we're actually having a really interesting conversation at Female Co-Founder about selling space for ads, a revenue generator. And Isha is challenging me. I love it. I actually love it. Um, She's challenging me around like the ethics of that and how we would decide whether or not to advertise on things like our newsletter. Really interested to see what she comes back with. But those are some of the business models that I'm seeing in the community predominantly at, at the top of my head. In terms of what's most successful, I can fall back on some of the ex- my own experiences. At least for us, subscription-based businesses haven't been working. I don't know if it's a COVID-based thing, uh, but it's something that we've tried and haven't seen traction with. One thing that we really see successful are like, I just like pay-per-use type resources Uh, that people really gravitate to specifically around like our events. But yeah, we've also tried just like, we've tried merch as well. I think the tricky thing with that is we're not a merch. We're not in the business of creating apparel. And when you're working with drop shipping companies, like your margins are really low. So personally for community-based businesses, I don't think that's a great revenue model. Learning for me please buy our merch. <laughs> <Just joking. laughs> I'm I'm curious though, when you talked about dropshipping, like I found dropshipping doesn't work either, uh, mainly because people expect products to come in within, you know, two days, like Amazon has spoiled us and people expect super short delivery times. So dropshipping is a cool idea to test proof of concept for a product, right? Yeah. To see if there's even demand for it. But ultimately that's not how you build a brand. That's not how you build a solid customer base. And that's something that, that we learned, um, really early on when we were just getting shit customer service scores on Facebook and Facebook actually shut down our page. Oh my gosh. 
Yeah. yeah. And mainly it's because shipping times, like we're, we don't have control over that. So eventually for, for one of my businesses, we moved all of our stock into a warehouse in the US. And that was like a pivotal moment to helping us scale because people just realized that they were going to get their stuff a lot faster. And all of a sudden yeah. it's like the business did a 180. Crazy. It was crazy to watch that transformation. But yeah, like for us, like I think that the things that are really working are just like pay-per-use, be really specific about the resources that you're paying for, as opposed to like a subscription-based model where you're paying monthly, but not exactly sure what you're getting, especially as a founder, right? Like yeah. every founder is, is, is at a different stage. And so the resources that are really useful to one person who's at a different stage, it's not the same as another. For sure. I think one thing that a lot of people forget when they launch a business is a business is supposed to make money and profit is like what makes a business a business yeah. um, because otherwise it's it's a nonprofit and that's an entirely different business model. But I, I see so many founders launch businesses and then three years down the road, they're still not making money, especially if it's a startup and they haven't had any like external funding. That's a big red flag. So subscription-based businesses, they were all the rage like a couple of years ago. I remember all the VC founders were, were only looking at subscription models Right. And everybody was kind of changing their uh, their revenue model to be subscription based. Even all the apps, like I, I don't know if you remember, there was a huge switch when apps went from being six ninety nine to everything being twenty five dollars a month. All of a sudden, yeah. for the same product, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's cool to see like you've seen in in through your work that maybe a subscription based business doesn't work, but having a really solid digital product that people pay for when they need it, something that's a good model to try as well. Yeah. Honestly, there's so many different ways to make money out there. There's so many different opportunities. You just got to try. Something you said earlier, just it's not about the model. It's not about what you're what you're doing day to day. It's about the problem that you're trying to solve. And as long as you've got that down packed, then you're going to create some magic. <laughs> yes. So what advice do you have for someone who's thinking about starting a business? I would say one, treat it kind of like I said before, treat it as an experiment and don't get in, in your head too much. Find free or cheap ways to validate your idea so you're not spending money on things that aren't going to flourish. And like, don't get stuck on a particular solution. Find a problem, validate that it's a real problem and help that drive you. I think those would be my three my three things. Okay, great. Yeah. No, I agree. I think as Nika said and what you said, just really sticking to solving the problem rather than the solution because things change all the time. Technology changes all the time. You always have to be innovative and come up with something better every day. So it's great. Michelle, I'm so thankful for, for you coming on to the podcast today, you being here, um, sharing your thoughts and your advice with us. Before we close out, I just want to ask if there's anything that, you know, you didn't get a chance to talk about or anything you, anything else you want to share with us today. I just encourage the community. If you're thinking about starting a startup, working on a side project, check out femalecofounder.com. It's open to both men and women. It's really about including women in conversations when you're thinking about building startup teams or startup projects. Michelle, thank you so much again. Thank you for coming on the podcast, sharing your experiences. But most importantly, thank you for your time. And thank you to our lovely listeners for listening. And as always, we will have our next brand new episode out next Tuesday. So please stay tuned.